we finished the Christmas season and come through that and ready to begin new series all the way around, all the things we're doing. Of course, at this time of the year, we begin the study of the life of Christ, and uh, so we'll be beginning the study of the life of Christ, leading up, of course, to the Easter season and his death and resurrection. So our text will be in Luke chapter 2 again today, Luke chapter 2 for our text, also looking at Isaiah chapter 11 for our text to Luke chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 11. One of my earliest memories of going to church was when I was five years old. My father wanted to try out another church. We lived on the south end of the Sour Springs Road, and on the north end of that road was a little church over just over here on Fletcher Chapel Road, and it was Sunday night. My father decided to go to that church, so he took me with him. I don't know why, but he took me with him, and there was probably a dozen people there. And after the service, my father was talking to the preacher, and I had a little cough. And when I coughed, the preacher leaned over and said to me, Would you like a glass of warm water? I shook my head. No, and I thought to myself, who wants to drink warm water? Yuck. That was my first visit I made to that little church on Fletcher Chapel Road. Eventually, we began to attend that church, and when I was seven years old, there was an evangelist who came to preach. He preached about going to hell. I decided I didn't want that. And so after the preaching, they sang the song softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling for you and for me. And I went up to the altar and prayed that Jesus would come into my heart. And he did. And I felt good about it. And the next Wednesday, we went to a prayer meeting there. And my father gave a prayer request. He said, pray for Eric. I think he's searching for peace on Sunday. And I distinctly remember saying inside, not out loud. <laughs> But inside, I remember saying, what are you talking about? I found peace. I'm not searching for it. I found it. And I remember saying, sometimes adults are so dumb. <laughs> well, those were some of my first church experiences. Sixty years later, I still have peace with God. I sometimes still think that adults are so dumb. <laughs> In our text today, we have a completely unique passage of Scripture. It is the one and only passage of Scripture that tells us anything about Jesus in what we call the missing years of his life. We have a wonderful explanation of Jesus' birth which we have been studying for the last month or so. And then except for this one passage, we don't hear from him until he gets baptized at 30 years of age. The Bible completely silent except for this passage. So it must be a very important passage, something we need to know. So let's begin actually right where we left off, Luke chapter 2, and I'm looking at verse number 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now here's a very unusual statement. 
as Jesus is growing up, the overall assessment of his life was that he was full of wisdom. Now, my friends, that is not the normal description of a child. <laughs> Children are learning about life, just beginning to make decisions, and we usually don't assign to them the quality of wisdom. And you might say, well, Jesus was God. Naturally, he's full of wisdom. No, that would be a wrong conclusion. Always remember, Jesus was God in human form. He was born just like any other baby was born. He learned to walk and talk just like any other baby. He played and ran and jumped and climbed trees just like any other boy. And so he learned to read like other boys his age did. He attended school. And for all practical purposes, he was just like any other boy, learning, growing, having life experiences. And along the way, he began to attend synagogues. And he listened to the preaching, and he read the Bible for himself, and he began to learn. The Bible is the best source of wisdom, and that is still true today. And so at 12 years old, Jesus is described as being full of wisdom, acquired by study and hard work. And then two things happen. One thing is explained. The other is implied. So listen as the story unfolds, my friends. Let me ask you, are you good at reading between the lines? You've got to read between the lines to get this story right. So uh, read between the lines. Here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. And they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they saw him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it you sought me? Wist you not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. All men were required to attend the services at the temple in Jerusalem three times a year. The Passover was one of those times. And uh, Mary attends with Joseph, and Jesus would be required to attend at 13 years of age. And because his birthday was at the end of the year, he'd missed the opportunity to attend when he turned 13. So he went early at 12 years of age, 
so that when he turned 13, he would have already fulfilled the requirement. 13 years of age was the age when Jewish boys began to be called children of the commandment. Which means at 13, you were to begin to apply yourself to keeping God's rules. So understand, Jesus at 12 years of age had already begun to examine the rules and learn what was expected. He did it ahead of time. And that's why he was called wise as a 12-year-old boy. Now, they traveled to Jerusalem, it says, in the usual manner. Nazareth was 80 miles from Jerusalem. That's about a four-day walk. They walked about 20 miles a day. And so residents of Nazareth left home and headed south on a main highway towards Jerusalem. As they traveled and passed other towns, other families would join the caravan until there were literally hundreds of people would be traveling in large crowds together towards Jerusalem. And as they walked, they sang psalms. You can find the songs that they sang in Psalm number 120 to 134. Now they're called the songs of degrees. They sang them on the way. One said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Another one that they would sing is, who shall attend the Lord's house? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. And they'd sing another one as they're traveling. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so God is around his people. And Jesus was experiencing for the first time the excitement of this journey. As people sang the songs of Zion, there was four days of it. Traveling, getting closer, singing the excitement. He's finally going to see the great city of Jerusalem. He had been there as an eight-year-old, eight-day-old baby, but he hadn't seen it since. And so, day by day, it's more exciting. And I can imagine Mary telling Jesus, just you wait till you see it. You won't believe this place. Wait till you see Jerusalem. And they're almost there. And the excited crowd is now climbing up the east side of the Mount of Olives. It blocks the view of Jerusalem. And suddenly... They finally reach the top of the Mount of Olives and they can look down and there it is, Jerusalem. And Jesus sees the great city for the very first time. Yes, he had been there at eight days old, but he doesn't remember that. He was just a baby. And now it's a stunning view from the top of the Mount of Olives. Twenty years later, when he reaches the very same point in the road, he weeps at the sight of Jerusalem. But now at 12 years old, he looks down. Great buildings, palaces, fortresses, walls surround the city. The most striking view, he's looking down from the Mount of Olives at Mount Zion at the temple. 
It's carved out stone stairs. This huge open area. Many gates. Walls entirely surrounding 27 acres. But most of all, the crowning touch, the temple itself on the western end, the temple with its great dome, and it shines in the sunlight because it's actually covered in gold. There are 200,000 priests and Levites in the temple. Some are sacrificing lambs, some are saying prayers, and some are singing praises to God. And when they come over the crest of the Mount of Olives, they're saying, Hallelujah! There it is! Hosanna! Glory to Jehovah! As they descend the Mount of Olives and enter into the city. Jesus, at 12 years old, experiences for the first time the Holy City. His senses are on overload. As he enters the city, the destination, the first place all the travelers go is the temple. As he enters the courtyards of the temple, they are decorated all over for Passover. It is the ultimate experience of his 12-year-old life. Never has he seen such sights. Never has he heard such music. Never has he felt such emotion. Never has he experienced such a display of public worship. And he thinks, I'm a long way from Nazareth now. There's something else, though. Something way more exciting than all that. He knows something that makes this moment so thrilling and so powerful. What is it? What does he know? Consider this with me. Dr. Luke has told us in the Christmas story that Gabriel the angel visited Mary at her house and said, you will have a son. He's going to be great. He is called the son of the highest. And Gabriel says, he's the son of God. Nine months later, in Bethlehem, a group of shepherds come bursting into the stable where Jesus was born. And they said, we just talked with an angel. And he said, a Savior was born, Christ the Lord. And thousands of angels gathered in the sky over our heads, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And also, eight days later, Mary met Simeon, the old man Simeon. And Simeon said this, they will speak against this baby. And Simeon said, a sword is going to pierce your soul, Mary. Now, we're told something in Luke 2, 19. Listen to what it says. Mary kept all these things 
and pondered them in her heart. All these things are in her heart being held there and she's thinking about it. She just keeps thinking about the things that she's heard and seen. She watched Jesus grow up and she was thinking about it. And now he is of age about to be called a child of the commandment coming to age. He's on his way to his first Passover in Jerusalem. So here's the question that Mary must consider. Mothers, you think of this. When do you tell him? When do you sit your son down and say to him, you weren't born like everybody else. Joseph is not your father. When do you sit him down and say, you were born the son of God? And angels came and announced your very birth. And they named you Jesus, not me. And they sang your highest praises. When do you tell him who he is? Now remember what old Simeon said. He said, they're going to speak against him. When do you tell him? You don't want that. You don't want them speaking against your son. And coming soon, Simeon said, a sword will pierce your heart and soul. She doesn't want that either. So when do you tell him who he is? Well, he's going to Jerusalem for the first time. I gotta tell him who he is. Can you imagine the wide-eyed wonder of a 12-year-old boy as his mother says to him, you're the son of God. Can you imagine? And now as he enters the temple for the very first time, the feeling is so thrilling and so powerful. This is my father's house. I'm finally home. Can you imagine his fascination as he watches Joseph take the Passover lamb and slit its neck and kill it? And can you imagine as they all sit down to eat the Passover dinner and Joseph, as the rule was in the family, the father asked the oldest son Passover meal questions. And Joseph would ask Jesus, why do we eat bitter herbs? Why is there a lamb? And why was there blood on the door? As Jesus watches the sacrifice and sings the song and hears the prayers and as he eats the Passover lamb he is filled with questions. Unlike so many people who go to the temple and go through the motions and go back home. <laughs> 
Jesus recognizes that God isn't finished, that God wants things done, and I've got to figure out what God wants me to do. God has business. God has plans. He's got plans for me. I've got to figure out what my Father has planned for me. And so when everybody else says, okay, time to go home, off we go. Jesus is driven by the question, what does my father want me to do? I'm in his house for the first time. So many questions need to be answered. And there are rabbis who have studied the Bible for years, <coughs> who will go and sit in the courtyard of the temple in little groups, and they will teach people who want to listen and encourage discussion, and they will allow you to ask any question you want. So there he is, consumed by the need to find out what his father wants him to do, and asking questions and searching for answers. And listen to the prophecy in Isaiah 11 about Jesus. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and that's Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah says, when this boy comes, He's going to figure it out fast. His mind will work and work until he comprehends what God wants. And when Mary comes and says, why did you treat us like that? We're worried about you. We couldn't find you. He says, you, you of all people, you should know. You told me I was a son of God. You should know I must be about my father's business. Verse 15. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. My friends... What a lesson for you and for me. What a wonderful example for us to follow. Look at him, 12 years old. And his number one priority, his main mission, I have got to find out what God's will is for me, and I've got to do it above all other things at any cost. He said that at 12 years old. There's a multitude of people who call themselves Christians who have never once asked that question. Never once. They do the will of God if it's convenient or if it fits into their plans. Or sometimes doing the will of God isn't even a consideration for them. It doesn't even cross their mind. Let me ask you this. What questions 
do you have for God to answer? Most people only ask God one question over and over. Why did something bad happen to me? Why God? Why did you treat me like that? Learn, my friends, from a 12-year-old boy who asks questions, deep questions, many questions, driven by the desire to find out what his father wanted him to do. His heavenly father. Can you imagine the day that Jesus understood and grasp it in his mind. Maybe it was on this very day in the temple when Jesus understood that he himself was the Passover lamb and he was to die in place of others. And he was to save his people from their sins. That's what the angel said when he was born. And did he say, oh no, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to die. No, it's recorded. This is what he said. I delight to do thy will, O oh God. That 12-year-old Jesus stands as the ultimate wise person who made it his number one priority to do the will of God and to be about his father's business. And how he puts us to shame as we spend our time doing our own will and doing what we want. My friends, remember the Apostle Paul. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute and imprison and kill all the Christians that he could find. And God met him and knocked him on the ground and he was blinded, became a blind man rolling in the dust. And he said, Who are you? And the answer came back from heaven, I am Jesus. And his next question was, what do you want me to do? Sometimes it takes people a whole lifetime to ask that question. That was the second question he asked. Who are you, Jesus? Okay, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Now notice the details. Mary and Joseph traveled one day out, discovered that Jesus was missing. And so they went one day back, that's two days, and then there's a whole other day spent searching for Jesus, it says they were three days. They spent a whole day searching and before they found him in the temple. It's a good lesson for us, my friends. Remember, if you're looking for Jesus, the place you will most likely find him is in his father's house. Come to church. It's the best place to find Jesus. Amen. I pray that you would search for Jesus and ask questions. Find out what God wants you to do and then do it. You may find it difficult what God had for Jesus to do is not easy. It may be a lowly thing. Jesus was despised and rejected of men. 
But I can tell you this from my own experience. When you do God's will, it is delightful. Delightful. There's nothing I'd rather do. When you serve him, it's an honor to serve him. Never take a pulpit or never sing a song or never wash a dish or never mow a lawn without realizing this is an honor. I'm doing it for God. When you take care of God's business, he'll take care of yours. So may God bless you as you ask the right question and determine to do his will as we follow the example of a 12-year-old. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, how it speaks to our hearts, how it inspires us. And we look at you and what you did know that we've fallen way short of that. And ask that we would value and treasure the will of God and be delighted to do it. And run from anything that keeps us from it. And remember that I was glad when they said unto us, let's go into the house of the Lord. Bless us through this year as we practice these things as we share and do these things together. We ask your blessing on the folks as they're gathered here. May they find strength from your word. Open our eyes that you may see the truth that you have for us. Place in our hands a wonderful key that will unclasp and set us free. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn in your hymn book, if you will. Hymn number 287, standing as we say. 287, we are climbing Jacob's ladder.
Lord, we just come to you today and we ask that you would help us to seek after your will. Help us to look and ask the questions of what will you have me to do. Help us to want to know, to come to your house seeking you and to live our lives in such a way that we long to do the will of God, and more than longing, delighting in doing the will of God. Whether it's a hard path or otherwise, Lord, we just ask that we would find delight in that. Give us the strength and the desire to be like Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would serve you with all of our hearts. Look for these opportunities and look for it as exactly what you want us to do and why we've been born, what we're here for. We ask for protection and guidance and care over all of these people. Bring them back safely to this place. Watch over your people, we pray. We ask for all these things.